You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We have the Arizona Fall League All-Stars game. We'll uh, talk about that and also talk about a couple of other players who are uh, red hot in the Arizona Fall League. And we'll have an interview with one of those players, Reds middle infield prospect Ivan Johnson. The Rookies of the Year were just named. We've been talking about these guys all year, keeping track of which rookies were in the running for the award. Uh, they were named, uh, as we're recording this just last night, Jonathan India and Randy Rosarina. We'll discuss that and look ahead to some guys who might be in the running next year. We're also going to look at some very important decisions being made regarding the 40-man roster pertaining to prospects. We're going to look at the prospects who need to be protected by being added to the 40-man roster or will be subject to the Rule 5 draft. And we'll wrap up by answering your question in the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, Arizona Fall League, Fall Stars game, one of our favorite events of the year. A bit of a damper this year because of the number of highly ranked prospects who were in the league and had to leave due to injury. Um, but still, uh, as always, uh, game laden with prospects, and this one was a fun one. Uh, right off the bat, things got started with a big First inning, Jonathan, you were there on the call. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I was uh, – not that I thought it was going to be a bad game, but I was a little worried that it might drag, especially given, you know, how pitching had performed of late. You know, those guys were getting shut down and getting tired. Um, it was a fun game. It moved incredibly fast. Obviously, the pitch clock had something to do with that, but, you know, a lot of first pitch swinging – uh, you know, wasn't sure, you know, given how the game started, I think the first three guys reached, but you know, the, some of the top prospects did exciting things. We, we actually got a good amount of good pitching. Um, we, we had a, we had a really good time, uh, calling that game. And, uh, you know, it, it's always fun to see that much talent, you know, on the field at, at one time, even if it is, you know, as you said, you know, Maybe slightly watered down from what it could have been earlier, you know, given some some injuries. And, you know, we had we did, you know, dugout interviews with Spencer Torkelson and Nolan Gorman during the broadcast. And both of those guys you know, would have been in the game normally uh, if they hadn't gotten banged up. But uh, but, yeah, I think a good time was had by all. Yeah, I mean, it's I would think I mean, what was the final tally, Jonathan? Was it seven top 100 prospects? in the yes. game, which is, I, I mean, that's probably, you know, maybe as low as it's been in recent years, but um, I mean, it's, it's still a fun game. There's still prospects in the game. Like you noted, um, you know, the two weeks I was there, it was, there was just so much scoring that uh, six, five, a six, a, a fairly crisply played six, five game, I think would have, was definitely, you know, un, I would have expected more scoring, you know, at least it wasn't, you know, like a 14 to 12, you know, home run derby, right. you know, I mean, you guys saw some quality pitching as well. Um, you know, they, you know, I, I, I thought it came off pretty well. And, and I mean, even though we didn't have our, our usual number of, of top, healthy top 100 prospects in the game, 
I just think back to <laughs> this time a year ago, we would have been happy to see any kind of fall stars game. So it's Fair like, enough. you're right, Jason, that that's always one of the highlights of the year. It's, it's fun to watch these guys play. Had I put an over under on the walk total in the game of five, I'm pretty sure you two would have quickly snapped up the uh, over on that, huh? Well, I would have said, you mean for each team? Right. Like not combined, like combined. Yes. I would have been like, oh, we'll just take your money. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. fine. We, yeah, had, the, fun. we had a conversation pregame uh, about run scored. And I was like, I'll take the over whatever, wherever you said it. And uh, I, I was wrong. I, I would have thought that you would have had at least one team scoring in double digits. Similarly, had you told me 11 runs would be scored in the game, I would say, oh, who, the East or the West? Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, this is a year two. I think the hitting is, is even further ahead of the pitching than usual, you know, even with some of the injuries. Um, so the fact that it was a, a, a nicely played game, I won't, I won't go into my sad saga of the four-hour 15-15 to 15 game I sat through, but, like, that would have made for, for not some good TV. And I think this was a, a fun evening and a good broadcast. Do that. Uh, do that in real time, Jim. Relive that that <laughs> saga in, in real time. That'll make for a good podcast, Potter. I I, I, could, I could just narrate. I could go back and, and give and, and go to the game day and give you a pitch by pitch recap, and then I will intersperse what I was thinking at various times during the game. Let's do it on this special edition of MLB Pipeline <laughs> Podcast, a three part series. Uh, so back to the game. Um, there was some good pitching, and the best pitcher in the league so far this year, who thus far has had really one of the best pitching performances ever in the fall league. If you look back through the history of the league at uh, individual pitching performances over the course of a season, uh, he's got one start left, but Owen White tossed uh, a perfect frame in the fall stars game. Um, not necessarily blowing people away. And I don't know that that's what he's done over the course of this fall league season, but he's been so good and it was good to see him good again. Um, I think another guy who stood out to me anyway was Bobby Miller. Uh, someone that I was really looking forward to seeing, uh, this fall league season and he didn't strike anyone out, had a couple of balls kind of squared up on him. Uh, but somehow, uh, was really impressive. I mean, he got some really ugly swings and misses. He faced three top 100 prospects um, and at times had each of them up there looking thoroughly confused. Yeah. I mean, I think all, you know, all, all fall, uh, he, he's one of those guys that's like pure stuff wise, maybe, maybe the best arm, but you know, struggled with his command and uh, uh, yeah, he, he got help from his outfield during his, uh, during his uh, during his inning, but uh, the stuff played, you know, and and he's exactly the kind of guy you want to see in in a game like this because you know that you know he has a chance maybe to touch triple digits. He he did not. Uh, I don't think we had a triple digit fastball in the game, but um, no, he he hit ninety nine. Uh, yeah. At the time he was in the game, he had you know the eight fastest pitches in the game, and then uh, Gregory Santos uh, came in and was kind of sitting. 98, 99, but yeah, nobody hit a hundred. Right. But yeah, I mean, but he was very good. And, you know, going back to Owen White for a second, <laughs> it was funny because we barely got a chance to talk about him. Uh, I mean, he threw nine pitches, eight of them were strikes and then the inning was over. So between that and the 15 second pitch clock, uh, we barely got to talk and then, and then the inning was over, but he was 
extremely efficient. And yeah, not blow away stuff, but he still averaged 94 miles per hour on his fastball. He's got plenty of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, he, you mentioned how good he has been throughout. And I think when you compare his numbers to how uh, hitting heavy this league has been, I think it stands out even more. Uh, you know, it's not like he's in a pitcher's league and has a 116 ERA. You know, it's uh, what he's doing in this league where the hitters have really been kind of ruling the day. It's been extremely impressive. Yeah, and I think you touched on this too, Jonathan. Even more so, he's been good every time. Like, I, right. maybe he's given up. I don't know if he's given up two runs in any of his starts. I think his max might be one. Um, and he's gone out there and, and, and pitched great time and time again and did another quick inning. And you know we've actually talked a decent amount about Owen White on the podcast all fall because he's been so impressive. And we even, I think, identified him as a guy we were looking forward to seeing in the fall league. Um, I mean, he's clearly been the best pitcher. I mean, if you want to count his, his inning in the Fall Stars game, I mean, he's now pitched 24 and a third innings in the AFL. And that's only 11 innings less of official pro experience that he had before he came into the league. So, um, you know, really big fall for Owen White. I mean, this guy probably more than anybody in the league needed innings. Um, you know, as you know, we, we, we've told his story. He was a 2018 draft pick. He had Tommy John surgery before he threw a pitch in a pro game. Finally comes back. Uh, this year pitches in May and, and I talked to him a little bit about it after one of his starts. He, I think it was like a, a fielding play where a ball got through him or by him and he slammed his hand on the ground frustration and he broke his hand and he was out for, for I think three more months at that point. But he, you know, as you mentioned, Jason, he, it's not like he's throwing 97, but it's pretty much every game. He brings four pitches. He's got a four pitch mix. Um, I, I think he's going to throw a lot of strikes. He's athletic and this guy is just going to keep getting better and, and better. And you contrast him to Bobby Miller. I think I saw Bobby Miller's best game when I was out there where he pitched against Mackenzie Gore and he gave up one run in three innings. Um, and, and he didn't throw a pitch under 97. And his curveball, which I think is inconsistent and has been a, a point of emphasis, was his, his best pitch that day um, or his best secondary pitch. But other than that, oddly enough, he's been hit pretty hard in the league. I think other than the day I saw him, he's given up 10 runs in seven innings. They've had him on very short stints, but I do think, um, you know, if he gets a little bit more consistent, the stuff's there. And I think he's a guy who could contribute in the big leagues next year. It's just a matter of consistency for him. And that wasn't an issue during the regular season. Jimmy, you're right. Owen White has allowed more than one run just one time. Uh, in his five starts, not including the Fall Stars game, he's 4-0 with a 1.16 ERA. Um, in three of his starts, has not allowed a run, uh, allowed one run in one start, two runs in the other, um, and has been just absolutely dominant. Uh, in that Fall Stars game, on the offensive side, uh, guy who has been you know, one of the hottest and most consistent hitters uh, at least over the past few weeks, uh, J.J. Bleday goes away with the MVP award. Uh, he homered uh, 102.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 417 foot home run. And uh, this is a guy who, you know, it's been well documented on this podcast. Uh, his struggles uh, in the minor leagues this year 
and uh, you have to think that this this uh, Arizona Fall League is is doing wonders for his confidence. Yeah, I felt I felt bad because you know we interviewed him after the game, and I feel like you know every time we've talked to him or about him, we have to talk about how you know bad he was during the year, and it snowballed, and he admits that, and you know this is helping him turn the page, and. You know, as he has said more than once, at the end of the regular season, he started to to see the ball a little bit better. You know, his overall line uh, in Double A doesn't really reflect that, um, but he was he was swinging the bat a little bit better, and he carried it over to the fall league and uh, you know and into the into that fall stars game. Uh, the timing was perfect because we were really talking about his power and if he's on time, he can really crush a ball. And then literally the next swing went out. Um, so uh, it was really Yonder Alonso was, was talking about him right when he went deep. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's squaring up the ball on, on a very regular basis uh, as he did twice in, in that fall stars game. And it's, you know, like I, I admire a, a guy like that who, you know, top of the first round kind of pick expected to move very quickly and struggles. And, you know, rather than sort of fold like a card table, he kind of just wiped the slate clean and said, all right, well, let's, you know, let's get back to work. And, you know, he definitely feels like what he's been doing this fall is much more in line with who he is and who he's going to be as a big leaguer. As a Blade homered, uh, Hunter Bishop also homered. Uh, He also uh, appeared on the broadcast in an in-game interview. Uh, You mentioned, Jonathan, earlier that Spencer Torkelson, an in-game interview, he uh, was nice enough to stop in and spend some time on the broadcast, even though he wasn't playing in the game. And uh, something that was immediately pointed out during Spencer's interview was his new mustache that he's sporting. Terrible. Um, That, that, did that uh, that was the very first thing that you guys touched on. Um, and then later, Hunter Bishop, in his in-game interview, another Arizona State product, another mustache, and uh, nice production on the show. You guys got a nice side-by-side of the two up there and had Hunter Bishop rate the two mustaches on the 2080 scouting scale. Gave himself a 70. Uh, Maybe even said 75. Was it a 75? Wow. I think so. Uh, and, and poor Spencer Torkelson uh, got a 35. Um, you agree with those those grades? You, yeah, you, I mean, I, you I got think I look. said right before we went to break, I'm like, maybe it's a future 40, you know, if it, if it can grow in a little bit more. I, I think the, the, the biggest issue uh, with, with Torkelson's mustache is that the one end of it was really blonde. So on TV, it looked like it wasn't there, like it hadn't okay. grown in. We accidentally shaved part of it off. You're right. And Is that, that what that was? It was blonde there? Yes, because once I, uh, I had a photographer show me a picture of him, I'm like, oh, okay, so there is actually mustache there. Wow, but, you really did some uh, in, uh, heavy oh, duty investigative yeah, reporting. Dive, right. That's, that, that's, uh, went to his barber, found out you know how he grooms it. Um, that's not creepy at all. But um, No, that's fine. But yeah, it was, but it, it was it was very funny, and both of them uh, were extremely good natured about it. And like the the funny thing is, is with uh, with Hunter Bishop, yeah, I, I, we didn't know that we were going to go there at all, and he was just so funny about it that we just kind of kept going. And it happened to be one of the sort of slightly longer half innings, so we, we were able to to do that. And yes, the the 
the network producers did a fantastic job of getting that side by side up at the end. So a, a look at some of the other top performers from the game. Um, you know, I, I think the part of what made this game uh, as appealing as it was to the, the viewer and the fan is a lot of guys that you expected to perform well or wanted to see perform well or had performed well over the course of the season did so in this game. Juan Yepes, who has been uh, one of the best players in the league, um, you know, low on the Cardinals' top 30 prospects list. I have to think that's going to change going into 2022. Uh, but he had a pair of doubles. Uh, Brett Beatty, uh, who started out really hot, was the uh, player of the week in the league, uh, the hitter of the week, the first game. Um, he hit three balls uh, over 100 miles per hour in the game. Uh, Jiwon Bay, who, you know, Jim, you noted in the uh, top tools story heading into the game, uh, had the best speed in the game, got to see him reach base twice without the ball leaving the infield and then swipe a bag. Bryson Stott, who's been very good, uh, one of the top performers in the game. Tristan Casas, another top 100 prospect. And then a couple of defensive gems as well, uh, as Elijah Dunham and James Outman both made diving catches on back-to-back plays. So uh, a fun game all around. You know, you know who I think is one of the more underappreciated players in the league, and um, <clears throat> I muted myself there for a second because I had a sneeze. I have this terrible cold. I don't know if you mentioned Nathan Eaton there, uh, Jason, when you were running down the top performers. He's so underrated that I, na- I he's the one guy in I know. Sam Dykstra's top 10 performers <laughs> list that yeah, I didn't he, mention. And I was going to say, he actually has some sneaky good tools yeah. where he's probably a six runner and a six arm, um, and he's you know, having one of the better off. He was he, at one point when I was down there, I think he was leading the league in hitting. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's, he's hitting for average. He's driving the ball. He's stealing bases. He hit a two run triple and, and a ball to the warning track and left. And I'm not saying, you know, Nathan, Eaton's not top 100 prospect, but you know, he's not on our, our Royals uh, top 30 prospects list. And I wonder if that'll change going into next year when we revamp the list in the spring. Um, but it was interesting to me that he was a guy who, you know, it seemed like every time I, I didn't see a ton of surprise. I, I I saw them like three or four days in a row, and then not much after that. But it just seemed like every game I saw saw surprise. Nathan Eaton had two or three hits, just like, and I don't know how this guy performed in the game because I don't have the box in front of me. Um, Logan Ohapi for the Phillies, like it seemed like every game I saw Peoria play, he got on base three times, and and it was interesting to me that I was looking at Sam's article too, Jason, while you're going over it, and I, I wanted to. Uh, to correct your slight of Nathan Eaton, because I, I think you obviously underappreciate him like everybody else does. Thank you for correcting that egregious slight. All right, so let's move on from the Fall Stars game and talk about a couple players uh, outside of the Fall Stars game who have been uh, very good recently. In fact, the hitter and pitcher of the week in the Arizona Fall League, and that would be two unranked players. Uh, neither of these players on their team top 30 prospect list. Both of them have been at one point, uh, but Buddy Kennedy of the Diamondbacks and Caleb Sampin of the Rays. Um, so guys, uh, first Kennedy, and both of these guys also, in addition to not being on their top 30 prospects list and having once been on there, both of them have major league bloodlines. Buddy Kennedy is Jim, do you know, you know who is his? There's like a Mike friend. Trout connection, right? Isn't he like? There is a Mike Trout. That, that's true, but, but he's there's actually no, no actual there's blood. A, a relative. Okay. Yeah, no actual blood involved there. Same Unless they're blood brother. 
Same high school, yes. Yes, he and Mike Trout, and they still work out together. But his grandfather was part of Harvey's Wallbangers, although not really much of a Wallbanger himself, but was a four-time All-Star. This is a little unfair because but Buddy Kenny's from New Jersey, and that's my area of the draft. And had it been Jim's area, he probably would remember. Yeah, I have no, I'm trying to think like it's not a guy named Kennedy, but like I I was actually at the game on the final day of the season where Robin Young hit two home runs so that the Harvey's Wallbangers beat out the Orioles. Let's just Uh, say you could put you could put money on it. Oh, then I'm I'm, going to go Don Money. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't I didn't know he was Don Money's uh, grandson. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that until I uh, started digging into him a little bit here f- for our purposes on the podcast. Uh, I think that was you know, certainly overshadowed by the fact that he uh, went to the same high school as Mike Trout when he was uh, in that draft class uh, back in 2017. He was a fifth-round pick out of Millville High School. Um, he was number 19 on the D-backs 2019 Top 30 Prospects list, but fell off. Uh, but he had a nice 2021 season and uh, a good week. He's, he's actually had a, a few good weeks now, or a couple anyway, since a two for 17 start in the fall league. Um, you know, he's hitting 118, had a 387 OPS uh, over his first five games. Uh, but since, in the nine games since, has gone 10 for 31 uh, for a 323 mark and a 1.002 OPS. And last week, hit 500. Uh, had a home run, two doubles, and three RBIs, and tied for the league lead with 12 total bases. Um, Jonathan, what can you tell us about Buddy Kennedy? Yeah, he had COVID, so he was late coming. Uh, so instead of, you know, say the two weeks that most people had off, he, had, he was off for a month and evidently was sick, like, you know, not like hospitalized or anything, but, you know, uh, wasn't feeling great. So when he got here to Arizona, he just said he was he was completely out of sync, uh, and he was even laughing because like I think it was his second game he struck out five times. Maybe Jim, that's when you saw him. Yeah, um, I, I didn't see him do anything. I, yeah, no, I, he I, just, I think a lot of that two for seventeen. Yeah, he just said that it just he could not like he you know he came in and like uh, even though we you know we've sort of been talking about the pitchers having trouble finding the strike zone, there are a lot of guys who could throw hard here, right? So if you're completely rusty and you're seeing 95, 96, regular he just said he just wasn't ready and the last two weeks he finally feels sort of more like himself and um i have a feeling he's going to get back onto that top 30 i mean he had he actually had a really good year made it up to double a and 22 homers stole 16 bases started mixing in some second base along with third um he's you know he's interesting he's not i'm you know we're not going to jump him up to the top of the diamondbacks list but i think what he's been doing these last couple of weeks is sort of it's much more in line with what he did during the regular season and, 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 you know, and who he is. And he said, he's now back to just being kind of relaxed and, and, and having fun. So he's seeing the fastball better and that's allowing him to, to pile up the base hits here. All right. And on the mound, uh, pitcher of the week was Caleb Sampin, another uh, MLB legacy. You guys, you guys know who is, is it Bill Sampin, Bill Sampin. Is it fair, fair to say that Bill Sampin is our second second favorite former major leaguer whose name starts Bill Samp? <laughs> I think that's that's fair. Well, shout out. We're, that's an we're all big Billy Sample fans. Sure. Former colleague. Um, but yeah, son of uh, Bill Sampin, who 
I honestly do not remember. That's not exactly my wheelhouse, but right around there. But do you remember him with the Expos, Royals, Angels at all? I do. I not. do a little bit. I mean, that's back when I played a lot of fantasy baseball. So he had a couple of nice years for the Expos as like a, a swing man. But uh, I, I mean, that that's about it. But it's like they, when you said Sampin and Bloodlines, that was the only Sampin I could think of. So. Yeah, he he was pretty good his first few years in the big league. His his first year, I looked at his numbers and I was surprised on his baseball reference page to not see a rookie of the year vote because he went 12 and 7 with a 2.99 ERA um which seems and then I looked at the the guy at the pitchers who did get votes and the numbers weren't really any better but I did not realize he only pitched 90 innings 12 and 7 in only 90 innings and and four games started that's a that's a lot of decisions for uh 90 innings pitched and only four starts. Maybe uh, he came in after the opener back in 1990. He must have. <laughs> uh, so Caleb Sampin, uh, he was awarded for his excellence this week. Uh, four perfect innings pitched, four strikeouts uh, on the year in the fall league uh, in five games and four starts. He's posted a 4.40 ERA. Uh, but just a 1.12 whip and 176 average against. He's struck out 18 over 14 in the third innings while walking seven. Uh, this is a guy who went to the Rays from the Dodgers. Dodgers took him the 20th round out of Wright State in 2018. Did not have a good season in 2021 uh, compared to uh, the hitter of the week, Buddy Kennedy, who did have a very good 2021. Uh, this year, Sampin was uh, 0-2 with an 8.27 ERA in just seven games, so getting some much-needed innings in the fall league. And, 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 you know, it sort of mirrors Buddy Kennedy in terms of he was not good at the beginning of the fall and has been good just, you know, in here in November, his last, his last couple of outings. He's been much sharper. He's been throwing a lot more strikes, um, you, you know. So, and I think, you know, another thing that's sort of interesting, you know, if you look at, and this is sort of a, little tease to what we're going to be talking about a little later on in, in the podcast, but uh, Buddy Kennedy as a high school draftee in 2017 and Caleb Sampin as a college draftee in 2018 are both eligible for the 40-man roster for the first time. And that, you know, that's one of the things that they're trying to, to show they're worthy of. Uh, so, you know, kudos to them for sort of finishing on a strong note and try to make that decision a little harder for the, for the D-backs and Rays. We are going to talk about some of those 40-man roster decisions later in the show. But first, we are going to talk to another Arizona Fall Leaguer, a guy whose name pops up uh, in quite a few places among the league leaders this year. He's had a very strong season. That's Reds middle infield prospect Ivan Johnson. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Pleased to welcome Ivan Johnson, Cincinnati Reds, into the Pipeline podcast here. And Ivan, we've had a chance to chat once or twice, but I figure we need to, for sure. we need to sit down and really hash some things out <laughs> for here. For sure, for sure. Um, so final week of the fall league season so I, i'm sure part of you is like man i'm ready i'm already yeah. done um but you still bring the energy like how much fun are you having out here dude it's a blast i mean there's a reason we're in the stands right now because these guys they make it crazy to come to the field every day so we get after it we've got a good group man i mean we're all pretty tired and kind of worn out but we, we lift each other up i mean we're trying to make this playoff push we got a good thing going if we win it so we're about to have fun and try and, you know, go home with some silverware. Well, it's funny because, I mean, this league is so low-key. Right. You're working on individual things. Right. At what point does that switch go off? Like, you know, you guys always try to win. I know right. that. But, like, is it now you're looking at the stands, you're like, all right, well, we might as well? <laughs> to be honest, we're a little disappointed. We're, we um, we came out firing, man. And we, uh, I think the first game, it was kind of like, you know, you just kind of want to do your own thing, you know, put up your own numbers. But, like, we all started having fun with it. We're like, all right, well, I mean, we're pretty good, so let's keep it rolling. And then, you know, I want to say not last week, but the week before, we got beat up a little bit, and we kind of took it personal. So we're hoping to come back and finish strong, man, because we were we were rolling through it for a second there. It's it's, it's kind of you're hardwired, right? Like, you all can't, right. like... You can't you, turn you, it you off. You have to compete. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're going to be out here, you got to compete. And I mean... It translates. If you're in there not caring about the game, you're going to get up there and not care about it. So everyone's locked in. Everyone's rooting each other on. And it's kind of weird, man. Like, on my days off, I'm like, all right, well, when I'm in there tomorrow, I can't mess it up. We got a good thing going. So that's what really keeps everybody going and locked in because we're trying to keep rolling. Uh, well, while we're recording this, you're, you're DHing today. Yeah. Is that is that tough? Like, I know guys that like to play a position. Now, you get some swings. Yeah. But. No, I. I'm DH a good bit out here, and it's just like, it's a love-hate thing, man. You know, if you get up there and you do good, you're like, all right, I love DHing. But as soon as you go over, you're like, oh, I wish I could have played the field. But no, it's cool. You, it's hard to not overanalyze every at-bat, though. I mean, out there, it's like, all right, at-bat's over, no thing. But when you're in the dugout, you're just like, man, all right. You're trying to line up, like, hey, I just hit in the first. Like, hey, I get to hit again in the third. Like, what do I do, got to do to get right? But... It's been fun. I mean, I'm, I don't mind just swinging it. Shoot, I'll, I'll do that every day of the week. For sure. Well, on here, the chances of you seeing the same pitcher twice is slim anyway. Right. So, I, does that help? Like, all right, you have to like go because it's not like you're going to see. You may even be hitting from the other side of the plate. It depends. Hey, some some of these guys have my number, so I'm kind of happy they get out of there early. But then some guys you see them pretty well, and you're like, oh man, I wish he could have thrown a few more. But you kind of get used to that. I mean, especially like in high school when you go like those perfect game things, it's just a new arm every time. But it's a little more the game. You gotta gotta come up with a game plan quick, you know, because it's a different guy. But I mean, we're going up there trying to do damage every time, so right. that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. Saturday was the Fall Stars game. Um, man, that thing moved fast. Holy, Zoomed. holy cow! Yeah. But we we were in the booth. We barely had time. <laughs> yeah. um, how, I mean, how much fun is a game like that? Dude, that was a blast. I mean, it was it's cool to just be kind of in that group, you know, and considered to be on the level with those guys. And then you get out there, and these are kind of guys you're like, dang, I wonder how he is on the other team. I wonder I wonder what they do. And then you get out there, and you're like, man, these are just a bunch of goofballs just like us, man. And we're just a bunch of dummies doing dumb stuff, man, and having a blast. So it was fun. I wish we could have got the dub, but 
it's all right. It's all fine. Yeah, yeah no, that that one even counts even less. I know uh, exactly. But although we did tell Curtis Mead that we counted that to extend his hitting streak. So, oh, oh Kurt, I yeah. roll. Oh, Kurt. Kurt's tearing, tearing everybody up, so he doesn't need that hit. He's we, good. We, we had decided, like, if he got a hit, it counted. If he didn't get a hit, it didn't count. Hey, that, that hit's coming regardless. Right, yeah, that, right. That, that, <laughs> right, fair enough, fair enough. What are, um, what are some of the things that you came out here hoping to work on, and how successful do you yeah. feel you, you've been in working on them? Man, I've been trying to do, do a little bit more damage at the plate and just kind of tapping into that power I feel like I have a little bit more and kind of not looking up there to just put the ball in play and really really use what I got and let my swing play a little bit more so in that regard I think I've definitely definitely done a good job of that I really want to cut down on the, the strikeouts though that's one thing going this offseason especially is all right on those at bats where I might not get that good pitch that great pitch to hit or something to drive like just taking my single the other way or shooting something up the middle and just having a good at bat and stuff like that or really the main thing I think I'm gonna work on is taking my walks I mean it's tough because you know Every time you're out there, you want to get knocks and you want to have that three for four day or two for four or whatever and really have that breakout day. But sometimes you're just not going to get a good pitch to hit. And sometimes they know what you're trying to do more than you, you can execute. So it's just, hey, take your walk and live to see another day type thing. How do you work on that in offseason? Just a lot of live DP? I think we go. Yeah, I think just a lot of the hardest thing I think is just, hey, I have a game plan. This is what this guy wants to do. How do I stick to my game plan even if he tries to shake me, right? So like, this guy wants to throw something down in the zone. He might flash a heater up. How do I forget about that heater up and stick with what he's gonna do instead of, oh, he threw that, maybe he's trying to throw this, that, that. Instead of just, hey, if you lose with your game plan, so so be it. But don't lose because you changed minute bad or you saw something and you like, oh man, maybe he, may, he might throw me that cookie instead of just going up there with the right approach. So I think it's gonna be a lot of like simulation for me in the off season. Like, one, two count, what are we looking for? And my taking that time to pause in between reps and taking each individual rep more serious is like, hey, all right, it's one, two, you got a battle. Or it's two, oh, like, this is what you need to swing at. If they throw it here, you got to spit on it. It might look good, but if you're looking out and they throw it in, you got to spit on it, stuff like that. Uh, right. We're going to get to the switch hitting thing in, in a little bit. <laughs> for sure. But I, I want to talk, talk about your defense. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about this uh, when we spoke last week, but, you know, you were a guy that most people said uh, he's going to be a second baseman, right. um, and then you end up playing a whole lot of shortstop. Right. And, and now here you've gotten to play some some third, right. which yeah. I think you've termed as a bit of an adventure. But uh, yeah. Yeah. what you know? How do you view yourself defensively? I mean, I think I can just—I'm a guy who can pick it. I think a lot of guys were kind of concerned about the range and the the arm. And I think playing short, that definitely helped. So now they're like, okay. I think a lot of guys didn't really see me as that shortstop. And I think I showed a few, hey, maybe I can't play it down the road. And I think I can play it for sure. But, you know, it's not really up to me when it's all said and done. But I think I've got the arm strength for the left side of the infield, which helps me. And at second, I got the glove for it. So for me, it's all about just getting in the box, getting on the lineup sheet. And wherever that's at, I mean, shoot, I'll go in the outfield if I have to, you know. But I think. I think in the dirt is where I'm, I can make things happen, and wherever they put me, I'm just gonna try and do that. I mean, these days, the amount of players who play just one position, right. like, coming fewer and fewer. Right. Like, you know, yeah. So, I mean, when that you may get you to get you there fast. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are guys who are just special defenders, you know, and I, I, 
kudos to you, you know, like that's awesome. I tip your cap to you, but I can go pick it and I can swing it. So as long as I can, you know, be in that lineup every day and play alongside the special defender, that's cool. Man. <laughs> special defender makes you look a little better. <laughs> exactly, for sure. We'll look special together. When we were in the, in the booth on Saturday, you know, Yonder Alonzo was with us, mm -hmm. big later. and you know, he, and you talked to some people, and he he hung a Brandon Phillips comp on him. Mm -hmm. You heard that one before? So the funniest thing is, uh, the guy I hit with back home, him and Brandon, you have a history together. So I see Brandon actually a good bit during the offseason event. I mean, if I have a Brandon Phillips career, I that make my year, man. I mean, that dude, especially growing up in Atlanta, he's an Atlanta guy, and now being in the Reds, like, that's a great guy to look up to. I mean, he could, special defender, absolutely, and he could swing it. So, I mean, dude, there's I'll a, take that every there's day. There's a uh, little, like, personality comp, too. Like, he had, he was such a high-end guy. Yeah, he I mean, might have me I don't know if he had an off switch. But. Yeah, see, Brandon, <laughs> man, that dude is so special. He, he might have me beat in that regard, but, a little bit of personality the same. It might be, you know, just because we're from the same area kind of thing. But, I mean, dude, growing up, I mean, that was one of the guys you idolized. So, if I could have a career like that and do some of the things he did, that would be amazing, man. All right. You got to unpack the switching personality. Let's talk about it, man. Let's, let's, let's really let's let's get in. I'm going to bill you by the hour for this one. This, <laughs> I need to go to therapy for this, for sure. Um, I, 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 you caught me completely by surprise when we talked on, on uh, Zoom, and it's like, but I love it. Um, just take me through the different personalities, right. and then I think you may have to sort of put out a question. And you got to name, we got to name these these guys. The but, names are going to be tough. Yeah, but, tell me, because right now you're just like lefties doing this and righties doing right. this. Right. So, I mean, when you're, when, I think all switch hitters kind of have that. I think if you ask totally, he'd probably have it a little bit. Yeah, he just doesn't say it out loud. Right, right. <laughs> he likes to keep it, keep it up top. But so right-handed, I think it's your natural. It's my natural side. So it's just like, if I get one swing a week right-handed, I'm, I'm good. I can go hit. I can go have a good AB. I'm like, we could put this ball in play, we could drive it, we could do whatever, I'm ready to bat. Because he's just always been there, you know? No matter what, as soon as I picked up a bat, he was there for me, you know? So see, lefty's the new kid on the block, picked him up a little later, so he needs a little bit more love and nurturing. He needs to be, you know, coddled a little bit. He needs, to, he needs the daily routine, and he needs to hit off the machine, and you know, really everything got to be lined up for him, see? So he's kind of like the, the younger kid, and then the righty is just like the older guy who just fresh out the box, ready, no matter what, he's gonna go good. You get a beat. Righty, does, lefty doesn't take a swing for a few days, and it's like, oh my god, where are you? you know, he doesn't show up. For people who are going just listening to this, you literally rolled your eyes at your left-handed person. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love lefty. I love because see, the thing is, when the left-handed swing is on, oh man, it's like. It's like Christmas morning, you know? He's just, he's doing his thing. We got pop everywhere. And then when he's off, he's like, he's rolling over. He's missing change-ups down. And you're just like, what are you doing, man? You know? And it's, at the same time, it's all me. You know, it's me making the mistake. Thank you for owning that. But I can also <laughs> be like, all right, it's just him. You know? That helps me go to sleep at night. It's like, all right, it was just him today. But you, you got it. You, you get a lot more reps left-handed. Exactly. By, by nature, right? So. I think that's what it kind of boils down to is like, I hit so much lefty in the game, and I hit so much, like, getting ready for the game lefty, because you're just gonna naturally get more reps there, so it's just kind of like, you spend more time dealing with that swing, almost, but 
there's such a comfort right-handed and such like an assurance that no matter how much I need to care for lefty, like righty is good. He's gonna be okay. All right, so false start is gonna be took another step. You have two bats. Now is that? Yeah, is, is that's that something new. new. Now, I don't think do most switch hitters do that. I don't. No, that I'm might just be me. So uh, recently, I accidentally got sent some axe handles. So I mean, I've heard great things, but they don't. Whenever I pick them up, I kind of shake them out left-handed, and it just it doesn't feel good. So then one day I'm messing around with it right-handed. I'm like, man, that's like a little whippy. Like that's that's nice. So one game, one of the weird, like rare games, I got four at bats right-handed. The third at bat, I go up there with the axe. I'm like, let's switch up the flaws. Like over two. Sure enough, bomb. So I'm like, okay. Like, now we we got something going. And then ever since then, that the the outburst has been righty with the axe bat. So I pick it up lefty, and I'm like, let's try it out. Feels terrible every time. So. Now I'm just like, I mean, I can't neglect him in BP. Like, if he, he's got his own thing too. He's got to get ready. So, I'm all in. I'm all in on the, like, that's the only way you can look at names. it. names. Is that too much? Like, no, we need names. We need names. I don't know, because righty's just hardcore, man. He's just gritty. And lefty's just a prima donna. It's just, I need someone to, to to look into it for me, but. Well, we, you know, we'll probably post the interview on social media, you know, separate from the podcast, and maybe we'll put out a, we'll, we'll ask, we'll ask We need fans. some, because it's, these two are just, they're on the same page, but they're, they're always rooting together, but man, oh my God. Sometimes it's like, it's getting two kids in line, man, it's just not, it's not, it's not the most fun. <laughs> All right, talking about, you know, the Reds. They've now had a pretty good track record of developing, right. especially hitters, yeah. to get up to, to the big leagues. And uh, all the more reason why to be able to move around a little bit. Because you know, right. Jonathan India said, I mean, it's exactly. a little tougher to, to, to break in at one mm. spot. But does that give you, like, more confidence? You see that not only are they good at doing it, but they give guys opportunities that, like, yeah. using this as a springboard to maybe start knocking on that door? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're pretty good about, I feel like, being, like, a homegrown in that sense. I think recently we've tried to – you know, go out and get those big names like Castellanos and Moustakis and guys like that. But for the most part, you got guys like Winker, Votto, India, Stevenson, like guys who are making an impact on the big league level, who were drafted, you know, went through the system, went through the ranks. So seeing that they were going from, you know, especially those guys were a lot of high school guys, you know, going from wherever they were at with their swing and their level to like where they're at now just gives you gives you a good level of confidence that you're in the right organization for that and you can get to where they're at just you know by trusting it and following it and whatever they tell you to do just even if it might not click at first just to hang with it you know because they've done it before so it's a good it's a good organization to be in especially your hitters so. yeah, exactly you like, yeah. have to move around a bit so yeah even uh, my boy tay tram he was with us so, yeah you know yeah. just developing hitters everywhere so you you and, and stevenson went to high school together so people i transferred in the year after he graduated so you replaced i that's a tough one to replace but i try i try my best t-step yeah, um, all right but still you're from the you know the same area right. you sort of you're like it'd be pretty cool to be on the same big yeah. league team with him like that doesn't happen all that often. that'd be really cool man i mean just he's, going he's when a I, friend of the podcast too like, oh, he, he's the man. so when he when he um you know, obviously he was a first rounder and he like took us to a final four and everything. It was like just really cool to like, when he came back to the school, he'd hit BP and stuff like that. It's like, dang, like this guy's the man. Like, 
nice guy, nice as can be, you know, always helping out. I mean, he'd come hit BP with us, and you're like, dude, like, this is pretty sweet, right? So, I mean, just looking back, if we were able to do that, and then just all the guys from that high school and all that area would just be ecstatic for us, and that'd be awesome, man. I mean, we've got so many mutual friends and stuff like that who would just love to see see something like that, and that'd be cool for the, for the picture books, especially. If we can get serious just for a minute, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask you just, you know, you've been playing now for a couple of years, you look around clubhouses, not a ton of guys who look like you. Right. You know? mm -hmm. How important is it for you uh, to, to, to represent the black community? And, and, Dude. You know, because you know, George is a little bit kind of an anomaly. There, right. there are more black players coming out of there. Mm -hmm. um, but by and large, you come to a team you know, you may be on an island some of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a huge, kind of an honor. Um, especially growing up, I mean, Little League, even when I went to co my college years, like, it's just one of me, you know. Maybe two if you get lucky. And so you kind of got to lean on those guys, especially, like, older guys who've done it. And so there's younger guys who I know in my area especially who are like, okay, this is what Ivan did. This is how Ivan, he hasn't made it, but this is what he did to get to this certain level. And it's tough, man. Baseball is just a tough sport, and especially in our communities, where a lot of them are, you know, a little bit financially not where where it'd be the best to play baseball, in, in a sense, which is a tough conversation to have. Because for me, I love it, and I understand like the ins and outs of it. And I understand the time, but I also spend the financial cost that goes with it. You know, so I mean, those programs like the Players Alliance and certain things like that, it just kind of inspired me to like, okay, how can I make a difference? You know. I know it took, you know, my parents doing going extreme lengths for me to even get the opportunity. So how do I help the next kid, and how do I inspire his parents, maybe even, to just keep sticking with it? Because I mean, I have no so many friends and so many guys. So I'm like, man, like growing up, that kid had so much potential, but just got burned out, you know, for what whatever reason. And the good thing about Atlanta is you got so many guys who just we're all kind of doing that same thing. We all kind of have that same mindset of okay, when we make it, how do we help out the next guy? You know, so. I think, especially from our area in the future, it's going to be a lot more giving back and a lot more, shoot, whatever we can do, camps, you know, travel ball help, whatever we can do to just kind of help back because, dude, this is a beautiful game, man, and basketball and football can't take all the, all the young guys, you know, so I want I want the young black kids to see that it's it's cool to play ball too, you know, and it's, it's a fun thing and we get to express ourselves just like everybody else and it's just, it's a blessing to be in the position we're in and I would just say look look forward in the future to seeing a lot of guy a lot more guys because I'm not gonna stop here and I'm gonna try and make my imprint along the way. Awesome, Ivan. I think we could go on for another 45 minutes. I know, we'll man. have to do a part two. We'll <laughs> for do sure, another, a whole for series. Sure. Hey, I'm down. Um, all right, we'll get it thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Our thanks to Ivan Johnson for joining us on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Uh, Jonathan. Uh, Ivan's a fourth-round pick out of Chipola in 2019. I'm looking at his scouting report here and his tools, tool grades, hit 50, power 50, run 50, arm 50, field 50, overall 45, but I think we just found out what his carrying tool is. <laughs> yeah, he's an 80 talker. Um, anyway, I could have I could have gone on for, for an hour. I mean, and, and we touched on lots and lots of things uh you know the, the the he's got two different personalities that he talks about for for each side of the plate uh we talked about his defense um you know we we talked about being in the reds organization trying to win the fall league we even 
uh, you know, sort of touched on, uh, you know, being a, a black player in today's game, you know, so he, uh, it was a, just a fantastic conversation. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just get lucky because, you know, if he hadn't been the best player in the game that I was covering last week uh, remotely, and I hadn't done the zoom with him, I might not have known that, you know, that he uh, was so engaging. Uh, so I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I was able to get him uh, for, for this week's podcast. But uh, you know, he's, you know, he's an interesting guy. I think there's a lot of untapped potential for him to be, you know, an offensive minded, uh, if it's a second baseman every day, or it's a super utility guy, something like that. Um, but you know, the Reds, the Reds know how to develop hitters. Jonathan, it's uh, in your, in the pantheon of uh, interview subjects, I know you were very enamored of Malik Smith, the Ricky Career Development Program, a couple of years ago. Who is the better interview, Malik Smith or Ivan Johnson? I, I, I refuse to answer that question. Um, they're 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 about on the same. They're about they're on equal footing, I think, for me. Um, now I'd have to go and refresh my memory, you know, to you know, Malik Smith and. Uh, you know, I ended up talking to Malik several times because, you know, once you find a guy who can talk like that, you you uh, you tried to talk to him as much as humanly possible. Um, but they're they're pretty close. You know, one of the things that we joked about is, you know, the, the, there's been a comp for Ivan Johnson to Brandon Phillips at times to which he was like, listen, if I have that kind of career, thank you. Um, but as a Georgia guy, you know, they, he loved Brandon Phillips. And I said there's even, you know, there's even some similarities personality wise. I think, you know, Brandon even larger in, in terms of the personality. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some similarities there, both in terms of how they play and their personalities. Didn't, Al, didn't Malik Smith sing? Didn't he belt out a tune during his uh, rookie career development program interview? Or was that off? It uh, was that not during the interview. I, I thought that might've, might've given him the, yeah, I, yeah I, I didn't ask Ivan Johnson to sing. He was dancing Next behind time. the cage during batting practice yesterday. He uh, He's tied for fourth in the league with six home runs, is fourth in the league in slugging, uh, 617, and is eighth in the league in OPS at uh, 960 mark. So having an excellent fall league as well. Uh, again, our thanks to Ivan Johnson for joining us on the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, We'll discuss this year's Rookies of the Year and make some predictions about next year's. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash 
the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, neither of whom were named Rookie of the Year. Uh, Maybe those awards. Maybe next year. Those are much too old to be considered rookies. Well, I mean, how old is Randy Rosarino? Not you're not that far off. He's he. I'm more than twice as old as him. So, <laughs> um, I, I think he's more qualified than me. Yeah, you still got to change. You're still eligible anyway. Uh, That's true. Which which uh, you know was something uh, that I think some people were a little confused about with Randy Rosarino. There's a, a very interesting situation where a guy that became so well-known in last year's postseason, but had not eclipsed the rookie eligibility threshold, so was still eligible. Um, and, of course, there's uh, a bunch of conversation about where he was ranked on the top 100 prospects list. Uh, he did come out. He, he, I think he probably underachieved according to what people expected this year. Do you think that's fair to say? And he still won the American league rookie of the year. Yeah. But I think expectations were just not realistic for him, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I'll bring this up because I had somebody text me, I guess Harold Reynolds still giving us grief, Jonathan, uh, discussing <laughs> of course uh, he is. the award. And we never claimed that Randy Arazareno wasn't good. We just claimed he wasn't the best prospect in the baseball universe and certainly not the best in his own system with Wander Franco there. But, you know, he was just so ridiculously good last year that I think short of Randy Arazareno coming out and hitting 35 home runs, people were probably going to say, you know, why didn't this guy have a better year? Just because for the whole month of October, you could, it just seemed like you, you couldn't get him out or you couldn't get him. I, I, I mean, I think Jason, at one point during the postseason, you slacked at me last year. Why did this, anybody ever throw this guy a fastball? Um, because he just crushed so many fastballs. But I mean, he, I mean, it goes to show how good that postseason was where he hit, what was it? 10 home runs and 18 games that he comes out this year. And it has a 2020 season, and people probably thought he he did underperform a little bit. Going yeah, I back, think, you know, he, I mean, he and, and you know, I, I think he he got better as the season went on a bit, you know. So he certainly got off to a you know a s- slow start as a guy who we had put you know at the top, uh, you know, even even if we weren't going to uh, give in to Harold's insistence that he's the best player on the planet, uh, you know, we we you know, in terms of where we were ranking rookies, we certainly thought of him as a front runner. Um, you had to be, and then he got, you know, he got off to kind of a slow start, uh, but he did end up having a, a very solid year uh, overall and then hit well again in the, you know, in, in the division series for, for the Rays. So, uh, you know, he's a talented guy, even if he never quite lives up to what people thought he would be after that ridiculous 2020 postseason. Yeah, and he was going going all the way back to our initial uh, predictions about 2021 Rookie of the Year contenders. We did a story back in January looking ahead to uh, 2021 Rookie of the Year. And Jonathan, you did have a Rosarina at number one. Number two, you had Jared Kelnick, who uh, did make it to the big leagues and had a sort of notoriously uh, bad start. Uh, number three on that list was Ryan Mountcastle, who uh, at least 
uh, one faction of fans certainly <laughs> thought was this year's rookie of the year. And he did have a fantastic season. Nick Madrigal uh, was number four on that list. He, of course, got injured, never really got a, a shot at, uh, at being in the running. And then Dane Dunning was number five on that list. Now, on the National League side, uh, kind of the opposite situation with Jonathan India uh, was not on your top five. And I don't know, did, did we do a, uh, no, d- didn't do an, a secondary list, but I don't, I kind of doubt he would have been on there. Um, but Key Brian Hayes was number one. He, of course, got injured early in the season, never quite rebounded when he did come back. Ian Anderson uh, was very good again. Uh, kind of the National League version of Randy Rosarina performing very well in last year's postseason. Dylan Carlson was number three on the list, uh, had a, a pretty good season, but uh, uh, not uh, a finalist for the award. And then had a Marlins pitcher, but the wrong one, had Sixto Sanchez, again, injuries, and then had a Reds middle infielder, but the wrong one, had Jose Garcia, and not the winner, Jonathan India. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll own it. Yeah, I don't know that I would have. Uh... But in, in India, you know, whereas well, everybody... I mean, the last time I was going to say the last time we saw Jonathan India, because again, we're coming off a year where guys didn't play, prospects didn't play. You know, Jonathan India, you know, number five overall pick in the 2018 draft. You know, great year in the SEC. Came out, had a so-so pro debut, kind of an uninspiring first full pro season. And then, frankly, he was terrible in the Arizona Fall League. I, I think at one point that Arizona Fall League season, Jonathan, it felt like he was one for 33 or one for 34. Um, but he looked bad in the Fall League. He just didn't look very good. So even though – and we, I think we did – you did your story in January, right, Jonathan? Does that sound yeah. right? And then we had a rookie draft where five of us made a pick in the American League and National League in March – and even at that point, I, you know, by, by you know, mid-March, it was apparent he might get a chance to play. But there was, you know, outside of his draft pedigree, there was no real great cause, you know, great cause that you believed he was going to come in and hit the ground running and perform right away in the big leagues. I mean, his, you know, major league, all his major league numbers, all his rate stats are better than his minor league stats after a year's layoff in a terrible Arizona fall league. So I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I'd be shocked if anybody really saw Jonathan India coming and winning the National League Rookie of the Year award. And a, another slight by me, another egregious slight, Dylan Carlson was one of the National League finalists. I can't believe you got that wrong. Well, I, Cardinals I had our, Come on. Yeah. I had our, uh, our final rankings, our final Rookie of the Year rankings open here, and uh, we had him – relatively low on the list uh but we did have india number one a rosarina number two rogers number three luis garcia was number four adolis garcia number five Juan franco number six um but dylan carlson was number nine on our list but that but, he, him... but he was the number three national league rookie on that list so yeah we, we nailed that as yep. much grief as the rookie power rankings got they actually, I think we did a pretty good job. Well, I mean, I'm sure the people who hate the rookie power ratings will just say, well, we're as clueless as the people who voted on the award. But when we were trying to identify the players who would win the rookies, rookie of the year awards, I think we did a pretty good job of 
reflecting how the voting turned out, which is if anybody ever read the, <laughs> the, the intro, which nobody ever did, <laughs> that's what we were basing it on. It was supposed to be a predictive story throughout the year, not who had the best stats as of May 15th. It was with the whole year being projected out, who do you think will win the award? So I will, I will give us all kudos Jason, yes. you vote on it too. Um, I'll give us all kudos for being fairly clairvoyant with the rookie voting. Kudos and nectar. All right. So looking ahead to 2022, we are uh, a year out from next year's Rookie of the Year awards. Let's make some predictions. Uh, I think, interestingly, of the eight top overall prospects in baseball, Seven of them have an ETA of 2022. So we should be seeing a lot of these guys next year, which could make for a really interesting run at Rookie of the Year. But of these highly ranked prospects, how many of them do you think we'll be talking about for Rookie of the Year next year versus guys who we may not see early enough in the season to really make an impact. I think looking at the list, I see three who um, maybe four who I think will, uh, will definitely enter the, into the conversation or at least be competing to, you know, play right out of spring training. And for me, that's, you know, it's Adley Rushman, our number one prospect of the Orioles, Bobby Witt uh, with Kansas city, then you have the two Tigers, Spencer Torkelson, Mustache or No, and Riley Green. I think those are the four. Uh, the other 2022 guys, you have Julio Rodriguez, uh, who you know just made it to Double A, so I think he's more a second half guy. And then C.J. Abrams, you know, he didn't play, uh, you know, he didn't play much, and then he didn't make it to the fall league. So I don't know if we'll end up adjusting his ETA there. Um, and then I guess Grayson Rodriguez is the other one. Um, and I think he's probably a second half kind of guy. My guess is. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the American League has many more viable candidates, I think, than the National League. Like the American League, I could see Rutschman, I could see Witt, I could see Torkelson, I could see Green, I could see Julio Rodriguez being one of those special players who maybe he comes up a little bit later, but is fantastic. So like we could, you know, if we, I think we did what a five man, five five of us drafted rookies going into last year whoever's picking fifth in the American league, you're still going to get a viable candidate. And there's other guys too in the national league. I, I just don't think there's a lot of obvious candidates. There's, you know, Joey Bart appears to be the heir apparent in San Francisco, but I don't think that's a lock. I mean, they're trying to win right away. And I mean, so if Joey Bart got off to a slow start, say Joey, you know, they're not going to just keep running Joey Bart out there. Right. You know, Brendan Davis Brent of the Davis. Cubs we have as a 2022 guy, but you know, he's, played 15 games in triple a and 76 and double a. And we have no idea what the service time considerations are going to be in a new CBA. Um, he might not be up right at the beginning of the, uh, of the draft. I mean, a lot of the better national league guys are, are pitchers. You know, I think picking pitchers to win the rookie of the year award is, is, is tricky because not only you have to pitch well, your team generally has to play well behind you, you know, both in terms of defense and, and run support. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Nolan Gorman would be a rookie of the year candidate in the National League. Although, you know, I'm not, I haven't looked to see, you know, how much if it's a, it's a clear shot of playing time and he, he was hurt in the fall league. So I, I just don't see a lot of obvious guys in the National League. I mean, do you guys have a, 
a favorite national leaguer who, who jumps out at you? I think the guy who kind of jumps out and, and he's sort of fresh in my mind because, <clears throat> you know, because I'm here is Bryson Stott, the Phillies. That's and he's, a good call. That's a very he, good call. Yeah, he's way down. <clears throat> excuse me, he's way down, you know, at 97. Uh, he's had a very good fall. Uh, he's going to get an opportunity to compete for the shortstop job uh, in the spring. You know, and the Phillies, I don't think they would hesitate to bring him up if they think that, uh, you know, right from the get-go, if they think he's going to help them win. And I think he will help them win. So I, you know, I, I, I think he's going to come and have a good spring and, and make that team. So he's the guy that, you know, especially sort of looking at, at the, um, you know, fall league guys who I think could springboard right, right into that big league lineup and become a front runner. Yeah, I think that's a great call, Jonathan. He might be my number one pick because I think he's got opportunity as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's easier to put up big numbers, you know, or, or rookie of the year winning numbers at shortstop than as a catcher with, you know, the, the wear and tear. You know, speaking of fall league guys who are a little further down the top 100 prospects list, and I know this guy hasn't played above high A, but he was so good the last, you know, six, eight weeks of the season, and he's been really good in the fall league. I just think Nick Gonzalez can really hit. And again, I don't know what the service time considerations are going to be. You know, hopefully that won't be an issue and guys will come up when they're ready to play in the big leagues. It would not shock me if Nick Gonzalez just tore the cover off the ball in double A to start next year. And he was up, you know, with the Pirates and played, say, two thirds or three quarters of the season and won the Rookie of the Year award, too, because I, I just think he can really, really hit. What do you guys think about one of the Marlins arms, another Marlins starter being in contention next year with Cabrera or Meyer? I just think it's, I mean, it's possible. I mean, Sixto Sanchez will be back too, theoretically. So, I mean, and I know Trevor Rogers had a good year. I just think it's tough, especially on a team that might not win a lot of games next year. Like, you know, maybe the defense isn't as good. I mean, I, I know Trevor Rogers pitched really, really well, but it's just, I think all those guys are better prospects we thought than Trevor Rogers at the same stage of their careers. But I think it's hard to go out as, as a rookie and pitch. Well, you know, usually there's an adjustment period um, and none of, you know, outside of six to Sanchez, you know, Max Meyer hasn't played in the big leagues. Cabrera pitched 26 innings. You know, maybe that'll be enough to get his feet wet and he'll acclimate better, but it's just, I, I don't feel great about picking pitchers unless you're talking about, you know, an elite, elite pitching prospect. And I think those guys are very good, but I don't think they're top, top, top guys. I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I think Cabrera is going to get every opportunity, but, you know, at the, by the same token, if Trevor Rogers didn't get hurt, and obviously that's always a part of it, I don't know that Jonathan India wins the National League Rookie of the Year. Um, See, you know, just it, when you had pacified Reds fans, you go ahead and say that. <laughs> I, listen, I, you know, I, I, I'm just being honest. I mean, he was putting up very good numbers. And he, but then he missed a, you know, a chunk of time. Now he may have hit a wall and, and had, you know, had a few bad starts and we'd be right where we were, but I think it would have been, I think it would have been at least a lot closer uh, of a vote uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt. So Ian Anderson, if he hadn't missed time, might've made a stronger run too. Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about his command, you know, his command issues at, at times also, but uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's another good example. You know, a guy like Edward Cabrera, it be, it because the Marlins, you know, are, are rebuilding, he's probably, if he's healthy and, you know, performing reasonably well, is going to get the ball every five days, right? So uh, he's not going to get forced out because, you know, well, we're, they're winning, uh, you know, so that 
we'll see. You know, I, I agree. It is a little tougher for a pitcher and a guy who went out and played every day. I mean, Jonathan India was sort of, you know, just a guy who went out all year and was kind of consistently good um, as opposed to, you know, slow start or, and then really blew up or took off or anything like that. He just kind of was a very solid performer all year. Here's a quick quiz for you. In the last 10 years of rookie of the year balloting, how many pure, we're not counting Shohei Itani because he was two a guy. How many pure, purely pitchers have won the rookie of the year award in the last 20, 20 rookies of the year over the last 10 years? Uh, last 10 years. Um, Three. I'll say two. It is four. Huh. Pretty good crew. Um, Jose Fernandez, Jacob deGrom, Michael Fulmer, Devin Williams. Um, but it, it's just, it's like, I just think it's hard. It, it, you know, you, you could be not, not mediocre, but you can, you can accumulate numbers just by playing every day. If you, you know, pitch every fifth time and you hit a lull, you know, it, it, right. I just think it's hard. You have to really dominate That's as fair. a pitcher. So, um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Like it, it, I think we'll be, I, I predict in my, my clairvoyance here in the future, we'll be talking about this American league versus national league dichotomy for rookie of the year candidates in 20, going into 2022. You are listening to the MLB pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking about 2022 rookies of the year. That is in the distant future and the not so distant future. Uh, we have a very important deadline looming as we are recording this. Uh, teams have until Friday uh, to add prospects to their 40-man roster. Uh, and there are hundreds and hundreds of players that, uh, if they are not added by that deadline, will then become eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Uh, according to our calculations, there are 167 ranked prospects who fit that bill, uh, which is approximately what we've seen over the past several years. Uh, we typically have around 150 and typically right about half of them get added to the 40 man and half of them are uh, left eligible for the rule five draft. And of course, that's not a situation where teams are just plucking those guys up because they're highly ranked prospects. There's a lot more that goes into that. Um, there are 14 top 100 prospects. Now these guys uh, will all but certainly get added to their 40 man rosters in the past six years, since we've been tracking this, there's never been a top 100 prospect who has not been protected uh, 59 for 59 over those six years. Um, guys heading into this year, I know Sam Dykstra has done a story on each team's toughest decision. Uh, you guys see, is there a guy or a few guys in particular uh, that are interesting to you here? Yeah, I mean, and I will say, I think, you know, look, I think Sam did a great job in this story. Um, we probably should divide this up. Poor Sam, how do you write like about 5,000 words on this? We could have done this as our one for each team and, and split it up. But he did a real nice job. Although I know from looking, I, I just think looking at these these guys, the tough decisions, I would bet that most of those tough decisions wind up not being protected, just especially looking at the teams that I cover. Um, you know, if they're on the bubble, you, you tend to, to gamble. I, the, to me, the two most interesting guys – among the 10 teams I cover because they're, they're deep systems 
are, are one of them's Ricky Vanasco with the Rangers. He's a right-handed pitcher. He's got one of the best arms in the system. He's up to 99. He, he's, he flashes pretty good curveball. He made a, he's making a lot of progress, but he wound up blown out last year and had Tommy John surgery in September. And so he hadn't really pitched, you know, he hasn't been in a game since 2019. Um, I wonder, and I haven't counted how many spots they have on the roster, you know, what machinations they're going to do between now and November 19th. But I would bet that in his case, I think they'll probably keep him because I know the Rangers really think that guy has a chance to be special. And you can, it's not manipulating, but like you can have him coming back from Tommy John surgery, spend some time on the IL, and he doesn't have to be active on your active major league roster the whole season. There, there's a minimum amount of days he has to be active, and you can even push those forward in the next year if he's on the IL for an extended period of time. So he was one. And then the Dodgers um, have an interesting uh, middle infielder named Lionel Valera, um, who is in high A. Uh, you know, he's, I think he made a run at going 2020 of the season. He's got above average power. He's got above average speed. He's a solid defender. He could probably play a number of positions. You know, he's not, you know, position players are tough because you kind of kill their careers. You, you, you can't really take a guy who's not ready to play at the big league level and give him regular at bats at the big league level. Um, and I, my guess is I, if I had to guess on the Dodgers that they don't protect Valera, and just gambled that he's only played in high A and that jumping him all the way to the big leagues for an entire year will be too much. But he's interesting. I mean, he's, I thought he was one of the better prospects in Sam's story. Yeah. I think there are a lot of those guys that are sort of lower down that it's such a huge leap that it would be tough unless it's, you know, a pitcher with incredible velocity or a lefty or something like that. The, the guy that sort of, I was looking at that. And then Sam actually concludes that he think will be protected as Travis Swaggerty of the pirates. Um, you know, it's not often where you have a guy who was a top 10 pick, uh, in, in the draft and you, and you question it. Uh, and the big question is just because he got hurt, he had right shoulder surgery and he not, he not really performed all that well. It had been a little disappointing, but you know, during the, during the shutdown, I got tons of reports of how much better he looked and the organization was really excited to see what he would do you know, this past year and he barely got to play. I think had he been healthy, he would have been in the big leagues and, you know, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be on this list at all. Uh, he would have graduated off. I mean, they needed outfield help. And I think he, he would have been given every opportunity to play on a regular basis. So I think, you know, assuming that his shoulder, you know, is recovering well at this point that, uh, he's one guy near that is, I don't know that anyone is a no brainer, but, you know, if I were a, a rebuilding team and he was left unprotected, uh, you know, assuming that the medical reports are good, then I would, I would certainly take him. And I think the pirates will protect him and give him a chance to, to win a spot in their outfield in spring training. Make sure you check out MLB pipeline at uh, MLB.com slash pipeline. We have the complete list of every team's ranked prospects who uh, need to be protected or will become eligible for the rule five draft. Also have uh, the story we were just referencing that Sam Dykstra did on each team's toughest decision, as well as another story that Sam did on guys who are in the Arizona Fall League playing for spots, a handful of guys who have helped themselves there, and then a handful of guys who have not. All right, let's answer a question in the mailbag. This one comes from at Hip Hop Jorge. Got to answer this question just because of that handle. 
a fantastic hand. There's some underscores in there too. Uh, Alex Snyder says, uh, he asks, who is the front runner for AFL MVP? And uh, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting question. There are at least, what, what, what would you guys say? How many players would you say are legitimately in the running for AFL MVP? I would One. say three. Interesting. Well, <laughs> I I would I would think I have three as well. So you're uh, wrong, I, Jonathan. Who's your, who's your one? <laughs> I've been I've been ratioed, not the first time. Um, yeah, no, I think there's there, there might be there I might. Think be I know who's going to win it, three. but I think there's three candidates. Well, go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. You you, you only have one. I'll, I'll chip in the other. I two think. Names. Well, so the the so the question is, if, who's the front runner? So to me, there is a front runner, and that's Nelson Velasquez, and it's a good segue because he is uh, up for protection in the forty man roster this year. And for me, I mean, he's you know he, don't he protect leads, him. He, yeah, no, I think so, and uh, especially given the fall that he's had, and he leads the league and you know in homers and. OPS and total bases and you know he's been really really impressive um I finally got to see him up close my goodness Jim he is a mountain of a human being um and was he wearing the Apo Taco t-shirt when you spoke to him I, I didn't speak to him I just saw him oh, take batting practice okay. during uh during fall stars but uh I will see him uh I'm covering Mesa this evening so I will I will see him but uh to me he is the front runner uh there are some other candidates but i you know, to me, I think he is the one who has set himself apart from from the others in the crowd. I, I will agree Jim, with that. Jim, that, that, that was my guy. Let's, should, uh, go, go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, let's on the count of three, let's say our two guys and see if they're the same. I know one of them's got to be the same. All right, you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Juan Yepes and, Yepes and Owen White. And I didn't even hear what you said because I was talking. <laughs> yeah, we had the same guys. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Yepes is, is right behind Velasquez in the ops. I mean, the, the funny thing is, like, I don't think they pick the MVP based on, you know, the, the, you know, it's not just player of the year, but also who's most valuable because Mesa looks like they're going to win the East. And in the West, you have surprise, you know, battling Glendale. Um, and I think Yepes has been Glendale's best player. And I think Owen White has been surprised yeah, as the best player. I don't, I don't think, think they're factoring. They're... Yeah, they're not factoring that in. But Yepes has been right there. He's second in the league in home runs. He's leading the league in RBIs. He's second in ops. He's been really, really consistent um, throughout the year for Glendale. And then I, I do think, I, I don't think he'll win it because, well, they don't have a separate pitcher of the year award, do they? They don't. I have a quick quiz for you, but go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, when I did Beat Report a couple of weeks ago, I gave out a Pitcher of the Year Award and Prospect of the Year Award, um, even though they don't officially give them out. I gave my picks for those awards. So the fact that they don't have a Pitcher of the Year Award, I, I think you could you could really make a case. If you, Nobody's doing this deep dive into Fall League MVP. But if you were comparing Owen White to the rest of the pitching performances in the league, I think he stands out more sure. – than Velasquez or Yep. I mean, we could come up with – it would not be very hard to come up with a list of however many deep we want, 15 hitters who had a good fall league, and we'd still be leaving guys off. So I, I think you could argue for Owen White from that standpoint because there's there's no question. We've talked about him again this podcast. He's been, he's been good every time out, and there are so few pitchers in the Arizona Fall League this year who have been good every time out. All right, so here's my quick quiz. How many pitchers in the history of the Fall League have been named MVP? I'm um, going to say Tommy Hansen has to be one. That's but it. Maybe doesn't have to be. 
I'm going to say two and I might be high. I think it's you one. Tommy Hansen is it in 2008. Yeah. Hey, Jason, were you going to say you were betting one? Yeah, I had, I had Hansen as the only one. Correct. And I do. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jim. I think that, you know, relative to the other pitching performances, not just this year, but in the history of the league and the fact that this is such a hitter friendly league, I do think that White's performance is perhaps more impressive than uh, either Velasquez or Yepes. But I also think that it this could really come down to this final week. I mean, it's a you know it's a short season to begin with, only six weeks. Um, White has one more start. Uh, who knows how many more times we'll see Yepes and Velasquez? But th- those guys, their numbers are pretty tight. Um, I would think that you know this could certainly uh, this MVP award could certainly uh, be decided in these final few days. You know, no, you're you, right. You, I mean, if somebody you, goes like two for 20, like one of those hitters, it could White goes out and throws them. five shutout innings. Uh, yeah, but here's a question. I mean, yeah. I don't think we have an answer to it. Why don't we have a pitcher of the year award? Yeah, it's, somebody call Chuck Fox. We'll, uh, we'll, You'll we'll, see him I, out there. I'm sure Chuck's out there, John. I, I, I expect you it, to uh, take this I will up. work on it this week, and I will say, you know, that uh, I had an open mind, and I think you, you've got me rethinking how, how certain I was uh, about this. So I'm, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Well, let's get a prospect of the year award, too. They could do, like, a survey of the scouts out there and pick a prospect of the year award. We need more AFL official awards. Two awards is not enough. We need four. <laughs> we also need more time. We get we got to put an end to that. This is a long podcast. I wanted to hear who Jonathan's pick for the Darnell Stenson Award was, as he's on the, at the forefront of that race right now. I have no idea. We'll find out soon. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks to Ivan Johnson for joining us. Thanks to... Alex Snyder for the mailbag question. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.